Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving you guys some tidbits for today. Going to be talking about Charlie Brown Jr. and a somewhat familiar face in Admiral Schofield, kind of what he has been up to. And I'm also going to be talking about what a big night tonight will be in terms of lottery standings. Got two big games. I'm going to be talking about one of them is obviously the Thunder going up against the Warriors. The other one, you still probably need to keep your eyes on. But just starting things out here with the tidbits. I mentioned in yesterday's episode, I'd probably try to squeeze a couple in there. And I got two stories for you guys. And one of them, you guys might have already heard the news, but Charlie Brown Jr. has been inked to a second 10-day contract. And this news is not really a surprise. This is something that... You know, I think was kind of obvious. The Thunder, at the time of this being signed, it was actually signed yesterday. Um, with the 10 days, he's pretty much good for the rest of the season. I mean, the Thunder's regular season concludes on May the 16th, so we're actually kind of approaching it. There's about 10 days left, which is really wild, honestly. But in 10 days, that's when it ends. And, um, you know, since it was signed yesterday... He's just going to be right off that cutoff. So he's going to play every single remaining game except for the LA Clippers game, which is going to conclude the Thunder's 72-game season. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't really like Sam Presti was going to just toss him out and pick up another guy. You know, I really think that there are some great guys still in the pool of free agency who we could get on a 10-day. Dante Hall, for example, just got off his one with the Orlando Magic. I would have loved to bring him in, just see if we could get another center if we can't retain Tony Bradley and Moses Brown. I think likely you're probably going to pick one of those two. Might want to get a little cheap option for your third string, though. And I thought Hall would be good, but also Omer Yurt 7 has looked very good. I mean, I was going crazy about this guy after the Orlando bubble. Him and Moses Brown were amazing. They really couldn't play together, but I think Omer Yurt 7, if he was kind of handed the keys like Moses Brown was in the first unit, he would have done very, very solid for himself, and he probably would have made a big name, but he balled out. I think he averaged like 15 points, 8 rebounds off the bench for the blue, and in the some like the single games where either Brown was hurt or I think he might have got moved um, up into the big ranks like a game before he went off I know he had like a 34 35 point game that's more than Moses Brown ever had and won those games and he was getting it done from the perimeter I think he ended up shooting around 40 percent from distance and if you guys keep track or keep tabs on him at all he's been just working like crazy and I think Florida just a ton of shooting drills really and that was the big question mark with Omer Yurt 7 on if his shooting could kind of stick if he continues to shoot the ball at an effective rate, I do believe he deserves a at least a chance in the NBA. And I'm, I'm so shocked that we have never seen him fly off the board on a 10-day, a two-way contract. Whatever it may be, he proved himself in the bubble, but he just hasn't gotten the chance. And I think that, you know, the Thunder, that might have been a good kind of pick. You know, if Bradley was going to be hurt or someone was going to be hurt, might as well toss out a seven-footer and see how he works out because the Thunder do need kind of a stretch big of some sorts. I know small ball Roby has been great, but I think Yurt 7 would have been amazing. Dante Hall, great at the 4 and 5 defensively, very good slasher around the basket, so you get him out of the way. But they just wanted to keep it simple, didn't need any more adjustments. We saw with Justin Robinson before um, we got Charlie Brown Jr. in the mix. He got a second, second day contract, and 
I think we knew that really we didn't have a, a spot for him long term. I don't know if that's the case for Charlie Brown Jr., but he's going to get that kind of second wind here. He got a decent amount of playing time. He only got to play three games uh, in these last 10 days. Two of them were off the bench, but he had that major starting game. First career start came with us 27 minutes, I believe, against the Indiana Pacers. And as we all know, that's the worst game we've ever seen the Thunder play. And Charlie Brown Jr. was part of the reason, kind of. He, in comparison to some of the starters, was better. He ended up finishing the game with eight points, five boards, two assists in uh, in his time there. But the big deal was he shot three of ten. And that, on a typical day, is really sucky. That was the second best in the starting unit. So that's that's kind of telling you how that game was. You can't really just look at that one game and say, oh, he sucks. Because you know what? If you go off that same exact rhetoric, no one on the Thunder roster should be playing any sort of basketball. That's how bad of a night it was, to be quite honest with you. So you, you couldn't really get a major kind of look at him, even though that was going to be the game. And with Lou Dort, who actually will be out for the Warriors game, he might actually get time off that bench. I don't know if he's going to be starting again, but like that 16-18 minute roll, that's kind of what you're hunting for because whenever Dort's been playing... He simply just doesn't have the time to spare. When Poku got out, I mean, that's another kind of opening because he is six foot six. but I don't know exactly how he's going to carve himself into the role. I think he's still kind of relegated to like a third string duty, uh, like what we saw with Justin Robinson and maybe like a Justin Jackson almost, where the only time they play is when there's injuries. But I thought that he did pretty solid in his time there. Overall, he averaged five points, 2.3 rebounds, and a steal across 16 minutes per game in those three contests and I think his biggest strength really just comes from the defensive end he's very good at picking defenders pockets on and off the ball uh he has a really good kind of gauge of passing lanes too so he'll kind of linger in the background and whenever you get a cross-court pass in the mix he's just going to dart out and swipe it so that's really his primary thing I think that you know, that offensive potential is really what you need to tap into for him to make a spot in the NBA. Currently, I feel like this is more of just like a G League tryout where, you know, hopefully he impresses enough to where there's going to be a spot for him on the OKC Blue roster. And one of those things with the, the G League rosters, for the most part, there's going to be some of those mainstays who will stick around. But for a lot of guys, I mean, we know this, the G League isn't going to pay you like much money at all. There's going to be contracts overseas that, you know, I think a lot of these guys might just want to take right now, get the cash going in. So there might be a huge kind of change in what you see on the roster from this year to next year, because I think that, you know, this year was spectacular. You got to take out all the like guys we dropped down, like Moses Brown and Josh Hall, in addition to Ty Drum and Poku. But then even some of the other guys, like the Yurt Sevens, like the Ryan Woolridges, uh, the Jalen Hordes, who he's definitely going to be off into a much better situation following this summer. Uh, you can kind of keep going down the line like Rob Edwards and those guys. But um, it's going to be different, so maybe there will be space for him. There's kind of a 3 and D specialist already on that blue roster in Melvin Frazier Jr. Now, he did not get to play a ton in Orlando. I'm, I'm a little bit shocked. They, he didn't have a big role, but, you know, I think a pairing there could be, you know, pretty special because they can kind of flip-flop between that three and two spot, but I don't think necessarily we are looking at him for a, you know, 
two-year contract or multi-year deal. I think we just don't have the room for it. So it's another one of those just tryouts, see what you can get out of him. And, you know, yeah, they might say we, we don't need him. But I feel like at this point, Sam Presti might just be done making moves. So just stick with Charlie Brown Jr., run with it. He might get some minutes. And I don't think he was a negative asset when he was playing. So I would enjoy to see him... Uh, running a little bit more with the second unit, and hell, maybe even the starters once again. But just heading right off to the next little tidbit I have for you guys, this is actually someone who has not been part of the Thunder organization for, uh, I guess, what, like six months now? It's been a very long time, so if you don't even recognize the name, I totally get it. But this is more of just not just talking about him, but speaking about the Thunder franchise in general as to how magnificent of a job they've done in town evaluation and just all that. So this comes from Admiral Schofield. We got him last fall and it was on draft day. This was a deal where we got Admiral Schofield in addition to the rights to the 37th pick in the draft. That's where we got Vit Kredge. He currently is in Oklahoma City. He's been practicing don't know if he's going to be on the Thunder or he'll be somewhere on the blue. Maybe like a two-way contract would be a happy minimum. But he's been there. Schofield has not, but we made that deal draft day. And on the flip side, all we had to give up in order to get those two players were the 53rd pick in the draft, which turned into Cassius Winston, and a 2024 second round selection so pretty much nothing uh, I don't really think Cassius Winston would fit the bill for what we want anyways and Vit Kredge as a six foot eight point guard looks like he has potential and Admiral Schofield he looked pretty promising when we got him in the deal originally so we saw him as a six foot five 240 pound just linebacker look exactly like Lou Dort and with defensive kind of traits being his primary factor in addition to a little bit of shot creating it seemed like he might be able to gel in with this roster, but as the preseason progressed, it became pretty obvious that uh, either they just did not like what they saw in Schofield or it was predetermined or something that he was just not going to be on the roster because in the Thunders, I think three or four preseason games that they ended up playing, Admiral Schofield only got 26 minutes a run, and in that time, he wasn't really used. He had no points, went 0 of 3 had two rebounds, and had two assists. So he was pretty much just used as a spot up. I think he had like a pull-up jumper or two that just didn't go in. He just he just wasn't really fitting well with the roster for whatever reason. So as like a six foot five, three or four, actually he was playing pretty high up there um, based on just his physical attributes. But I mean, it just didn't work out. So he was one of the first cuts that the Thunder had to make. Him and TJ Leaf who I talked about about a week or two ago on this podcast, they both got waived in the first kind of bit of roster cuts. And then you saw Frank Jackson be the last guy on the list. But Schofield ended up getting cut, just did not see enough in him, I suppose. And then, you know, he was just looking for another contract. And he just, he waited. He waited for someone to pick him up and no NBA team bit. So he had to enter his name into the G League draft pool and he was good. He was the hottest commodity on the board. Typically, when you see G League drafts, it is some undrafted guys um, and then some kind of veteran players. Like, for instance, 
in the first round. You saw Justin Patton get taken off the board. He's been passed around like a lot of a lot of things. He's just been passed around the block to multiple different franchises, and he's never stuck. So that's kind of where you see like that Island of Misfit toys almost, where they're guys who have good kind of areas, but they can't refine their games. They're kind of just stuck in the G League, and they don't want to go overseas or whatever. You don't get guys like Schofield where he was a second-round pick last year. He possesses some skills, and he'll be ready to go for you now. So the Greensboro Swarm, which is the Charlotte Hornets affiliate, they got the first pick. They swooped up Schofield, and they took him right into Orlando with the hopes that they could get him into a two-way contract or just a full-scale contract down the line. So they brought him in. And he didn't really play too spectacular. I saw him whenever the Swarm played against the Blue. He wasn't popping off the page. And he didn't really pop off anywhere. I think his season high was about 19 points. Had about 12 rebounds as his high too. He was just kind of a plug-and-play guy for them. And the shooting percentages weren't amazing either. Overall, he only shot 38.2% from the floor. From three, he shot 22%. And that was one of the kind of key reasons or points of uh, note for him could he be able to shoot well didn't do that amazing but overall when you look at his complete body of work he did a pretty good job so he averaged 10.1 points 5.8 rebounds and 2.1 assists overall obviously like I mentioned the shooting splits were not amazing but it was enough to kind of keep him on the radar and the Orlando Magic as of late they've just been flickering on and off between 10-day contracts and two-way deals, you saw them get Mo Wagner, and he played pretty um, a pretty significant role in their last game. And they also got like Ignis Bresdingis or whatever. I think he got traded in the, the three-way deal that sent Hill over. We got Bradley and some picks. He was part of that. He got released. He got picked up by the Magic. And I talked about Dante Hall. I think they had like Roberto Franks or Robert Franks. They were just flipping through, guys, and they didn't have a roster spot. They had 15 players, but here's the deal. There is a rule which we've seen used with the Memphis Grizzlies a little bit earlier in this year, but it's kind of a rule that's not talked about that much. It is called the hardship exception, and it's where you can't really field a very healthy roster. So for the Orlando Magic, they are just ridden with injuries, and they don't have Jonathan Isaac. Markel Fultz, he's done for the year. And on top of that, you see even more guys who might not be able to play for them. Michael Carter-Williams looks like he might be done for the remainder of the season. Terrence Ross has been on the injury list for them. Otto Porter Jr. has been on the list. Chuma Okiki has been on that list. And just now, they don't have James Ennis III. So it's a pretty bad situation there. And now you have Wendell Carter Jr. actually out for their game tomorrow against the Charlotte Hornets so it's it's a bit of a, a hard situation to be dealing with there and because of it they're able to get that hardship exception from the league where you just don't have enough players so you are allowed to for a brief period of time pick up someone from the free agency pool until you're able to field some of those players back onto the active list and with all them pretty much being out for the rest of the year them getting Admiral Schofield is going to get them to the end of the season they might also have a similar boat with like one game is out but Schofield's going to be in the mix for them and honestly he's going to have a pretty large portion of playing time available for him because of all those injuries in the front court and at the small forward position 
there's really no one to be contending with. Mo Wagner played 40 minutes. Like I said, he played a lot of time. And then also, Bresdingis, he was playing starting time too. So I think he'd probably plug in as a three or four and get around 20 to 24 minutes. They just want to see what he can provide for the team just moving forward. And I honestly think that he might have a chance. I think he's only like 23 years old now. So there's a, there's a shot for him. But yeah, I mean, that's just another guy you add to the list with him. This is just another person that Presti can put on his list here. I mean, they have had, with him included now, six different players this year that the team has either been associated with in the blue system or they released them in um, in the Thunder's uh, transaction log to where they have gone on from the Thunder and actually signed a new contract. And all these guys that I'm listing, they're relatively young. So when you look at the guys they cut in training camp the main three Schofield TJ Leaf and Frank Jackson Schofield's now with the Magic TJ Leaf has a two-way contract with the Trailblazers and Frank Jackson is on a two-way deal with the Pistons where he's pretty much turned into their second or third option any given night and he might be the first option in their next game so three home runs there but then when you want to talk about the in-season guys Justin Jackson he's on a two-way deal with the Bucks. And now, it's a bit tacky, but it's still there. Austin Rivers, he is playing with the Denver Nuggets right now. So you get it to five, and then you pair him up with a guy who played for the Blue this year in Chason Randall. They're going to be teammates with the Magic together right now, and they're both going to get a lot of minutes due to the injuries. So that's six different people. That's definitely not happened in Thunder history. I don't even know. Um, what the NBA record for that would be. I would assume that's, a, that's like a franchise record. Teams have just been feeding off of us for young assets and looks like it's been working out for, uh, for the most part for those teams. So it just tells you kind of that deep value that Sam Presti has found through this rebuild. And we didn't even know who most of this team was entering the year and they've all panned out. And to know that even beyond them, there's six other guys who could be playing very high-level basketball for us right now that just could not make the cut. It tells you a lot about the team. So pretty big stuff um, on that front of just development. And, you know, obviously best of luck to Schofield. We've seen a lot of news stories come out from these guys that we've had to shell out for one reason or another. So you'd hope that this can be another one of those kind of big comeback stories and he can turn the corner and get a multi-year contract moving on into the future. But now, after getting those little short tidbits out of the way, I am here to talk about what you need to look out for tonight. And there's two big games. Overall, there's seven games being played tonight. But really, none of them have big implications outside of the two that I'm going to be talking about. So there's going to be a Pistons-Memphis Grizzlies game at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and a Thunder-Golden State Warriors game at 9 p.m. So pretty late start there. But just kind of prefacing all of this, I need to keep you guys updated on what happened yesterday. So now it is back to a three-way tie for that four spot. The Cavs and the Magic lost their games yesterday, so they are all knotted up. And for the Timberwolves, they survived. Well, I wouldn't call it survive. They lost, but as a fan fan base for the Timberwolves, they're probably happy about it. 
they barely lost the Grizzlies last night. They lost 139 to 135. I think Anthony Edwards exploded for like 42 points or something wild like that, but they did not reach the mark there. The Magic got blown out by the Celtics. It was 132 to 96, and the Cavaliers got squashed by the Blazers, 141 to 105. Kind of a cool thing, though. Kings won their game, 104 to 93 against the Pacers, so that'd be nice whenever we play them again. But yeah, I mean, main point there is it's back to a three-way tie, and nothing really changed with the Timberwolves. That was a really big one, but there is still that team that has kind of gone under the rug for a bit, and the Detroit Pistons, who in their match against the Memphis Grizzlies, they might actually take this one, and I'm saying this um, just as kind of an opportunist. I think that given the injury report for the Pistons right now, it might be a long shot, but there's still a chance based on what we've seen through them. And I'm also saying this because the Grizzlies, I mean, they are going to be entering this game battle-scarred after that gigantic game they had to play against the Timberwolves. They were not safe in that game. Took them 139, 139 points. Like, come on. I feel like there's got to be a little bit of fatigue running through their system. They don't have a lot of injuries, though. Um, The Detroit Pistons... They have a lot of them, though. So just running down the line, you got guys like Mason Plumlee out. Jeremy Grant's going to be out for the game. Dennis Smith Jr. is out. Rodney Magruder is out. Wayne Ellington, Josh Jackson, Corey Joseph, and that's just to name a few. But they got Killian Hayes, who's questionable for the game. And the big one here, Hamadou Diallo, 35 points in the last game. They almost won they're not going to take any chances. They're saying, you're not playing in this game. We will not risk it. So their roster is going to be comprised of pretty much Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stort, and Frank Jackson. Sekou Dumbayao had a nice 20-point performance in the last one, but that's about the four main guys you're going to see. Everyone else will just kind of play support roles. But yeah, I mean, they're down a little bit though. I will say with the four guys that I listed, mainly in Stuart, Sadiq Bay, and Frank Jackson though, I think they can all explode for major performances. Sekou really does not have that many major games, but it can happen. So I wouldn't rule them out. And based on that fatigue, I think there's a chance, but that's going to be the main one. If they were to get that win in tonight's game, they would be tied for third place with the Timberwolves, three games behind the Rockets, and for us, we would be right behind them a game back, and if we lost in tonight's game, we would just be a half game back of third, so that's one you need to be looking out for. Whenever the tip-off time starts for the Thunder game, it's going to be that second half for the Pistons, so you're going to be able to get a good gauge on what would happen there. It might be a nail-biter, but typically with some of these tank battles, it's not really like that. So we'll see kind of what goes on. But the main thing obviously comes from the Thunder because if they win against the Warriors, this this whole entire, you know, six, seven game stretch is all for nothing. That's just straight up how it is. But yeah, I mean, luckily the Warriors, they have a superstar, one of the greatest of all time to play, the greatest shooter of all time in Steph Curry. And they got guys like Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins that are becoming coming into this game at full full force. So the only real major deal they have on the injury report is Kelly Oubre's out. James Wiseman's been out. Um, he's done for the year. And then Clay Thompson, obviously, will not be playing. Pascal is out, and so is Damian Lee. 
I don't think those guys are that crucial in their success, though. But they still have their main stars. So I just wanted to break down the stat line from whenever you saw Kelly Oubre get removed because they've played a much different brand of basketball since he's been gone. And they've been doing really nice. So in the last four, Steph Curry's been averaging 36.3 points a game. And he's been shooting 40% from three, had six rebounds, and close to six assists. Right behind him, though, a little bit surprising, Andrew Wiggins is averaging close to 25 points per game, and we know when he suits up against the Thunder, he's going to be hitting 25 automatically, so how much more does he get over that? That's to find out later, but I mean, he has turned into a big scorer uh, since Oubre has been gone. He has become that second option, and he's been doing well from three, 44.4%. Not really much of a passer, but he does not need to be playing with Steph Curry. Behind that, Draymond Green has been amazing. If you guys watched that really like janky superhero telecast on TNT, he was the somehow the like star of the game over Steph with like 40 points or some crap because he had so many rebounds, so many assists. Right now in the last four, he's averaging 9.3 points, 10.3 rebounds, and 9.3 assists. So close to that triple-double, and he's going to be dangerous uh, against our front court. And then outside of that, you have Jordan Poole and Michael Mulder, who are both averaging just a little bit above double digits in the game. You can run down the line, but that's really it. I mean, they pretty much just have five key guys, but obviously you need to hone in on that big three in Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green. So if they're clicking, it's over with. We saw whenever we played Curry in the last game, there was just no chance. He was posting video game numbers. I think he went like a perfect seven of seven or eight of eight in the third quarter of that game, ended with like 40 points or something. So if he's still stuck in that run or hot streak, if you even want to say it's a hot streak, that's just who Curry is. This game's over. He needs to be extremely cold for a win to even be in the equation. Draymond Green's looked nice. Now, he's look, he looked really bad to start the year out. He's kind of turning the corner. So he's one of those guys where it's not a sure thing. Wiggins, obviously, is not a sure thing either. He kind of does have really inefficient games. So you hope it's not going to be like that. Tends to not have bad games, but... Uh, that's, you know, this, uh, this last year's Thunder lineup and just prior to that, it's much different than this one. So you'd assume it mean he'd be even more primed to get, you know, a major point number up, but that might not be the case. So you just kind of wait and see, and you wait and see what happens with the remainder of that bench. But if the big three's clicking, the game's done for, and it's going to help them out even more because the Oklahoma City Thunder, they are missing out on Lou Dort in this game and he did really bad in the last game I think he's the reason we end up losing the last game anyways but it still helps because he does have those um those games where he'll respond with like mega numbers and on top of it you don't have Poku he can change a game um he definitely turns it on his head every time he plays whether it's positive or negative you just got to wait and see but he will not be playing and then the clear ones in SGA, Muscala, and Horford, they will be out for the contest. So it's going to be a lot more opportunities. As I talked about with Charlie Brown Jr., he might play. I think the main person to look at is obviously going to be Gabrielle Deck, though, just coming off a 16-point game in 16 minutes. I don't know if you just give him a starting lineup because it, it will be different in the first, um, the first string. And, you know, 
I guess, like like I said, I mean, the language of basketball is universal, but if there's a language barrier and they're just running plays all the time, it might be a little bit rough. So I think if he controls uh, part of, parts of the offense, it might be in that um, second unit anyways, just amp up the minutes a bit. And maybe you get to see Josh Hall and Jalen Horde get to uh, play a little bit more since Poku will be out for the game. I think the biggest kind of hole that the Warriors have is at the center spot. And with the Thunder having Moses Brown, who's coming off of two major rebound games, I think he'll just dominate against whoever you're going to throw at him. You know, if you put Draymond on him, he has struggled against some of these smaller, like, burly centers. But I don't think rebound-wise it would affect him that much. When you look past him, it's like Kevon Looney. Is Looney going to be able to put a finger in Moses Brown's face? Absolutely not. So I think that Moses Brown is the sneaky pick for like a really good game. You know, field goal wise, it's been off, but I think rebound wise, he should have a good kind of framework. Tony Bradley's the same off the bench. If we go with Roby, it will be a bit different, but the centers are that key position to kind of wait and see. You want to see how Maladone does against Steph Curry. It's going to be a major test for him and Baisley. I mean, Baisley, if he's going up against Draymond Green, He's not going to be able to just give you, you know, easy inside looks. He's very good on the ball, and you're going to need to see a lot more of um, kind of outside-centric play with Baisley so he can seep into the inside. He had a very beautiful step back um, on, I think, Buddy Heald in the last game. Actually, take it back. It was on Mo Harkless who he did it on. But he was doing very good on kind of getting himself open, and he's very good at the pull-up mid-ranges. You're probably going to need to see a lot of that for him to be successful against Draymond because I don't think just the easy the layups are going to be happening against him. He's damn near a brick wall, so he's not a, he's not like a Marvin Bagley Jr. or anything. So it'll be a tough test for him, but those are the main people you need to be talking about. And Ty Jerome, this is definitely a thing where I've heard that, you know, should he be a core member of the roster moving forward? When I did a breakdown on him versus V, I mentioned it too. I don't know if you put him there yet, but off the bench, if he's going to be playing what their typical backup point guard would be, I think he'd probably crush Nico Mannion. Now, he's not playing a ton. Curry has been taking the heavy lifting here, but in those kind of funky lineups where you don't see Steph Curry, that's where he'd probably be at his best. So, Look out for that. I think those are kind of my key points. I don't really expect this to be close unless you see Curry cold or just as a collective, no one can make a shot except for Steph Curry. Even then, Curry changes the game so much with just one shot. I don't even know how that would be possible, but there's always a chance. So it's not a gimme. I think you need to be looking at that Pistons game tonight, though. Kind of evaluate that, and then you look at the Thunder game, and, you know, you get that L. That is the hope in terms of lottery odds. Always, that's kind of the thing that needs to be going first. When it comes down to it, this may not all matter when you see the lottery balls spit out in um, in June. But right now, you want to make sure you harvest the good odds. And because of that, you kind of want to be searching for a loss tonight. But that's just kind of my main takeaways from this one. Those tidbits also from today but that is going to wrap things up for this episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya